Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Perspective Planning Podcast. Uh, as always, my name is Michael Mazaritsky. I'm the president of Milestone Asset Management Group, and I am a co-host of this podcast along with my partner in crime, Rich Lopresti. Rich, you want to say a quick hi here? <laughs> hey, hi, everybody. Good to be here, Mike. It's good to have you. Uh, I, I know, Rich, you ran this uh, half marathon over the weekend, and uh, you might be a little bit tired, so uh, <laughs> we'll give catch you some slack today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but today's episode is, 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 a, is actually a very interesting one. We, we were actually going to talk about um, a couple of different topics, but with all the changes that are happening on Capitol Hill, Rich and I both felt it was important to maybe come on and talk a little bit about this potential new tax bill that is currently being worked through the House and the Senate and so on, and kind of discuss maybe some of the key changes that are being proposed within this plan and how they could potentially impact you as an individual who is looking to potentially retire or already retired or very close to retirement. Now, anything that we discuss today obviously is all hypothetical until it's passed, right? So none of this stuff is a law at this point. These are just proposals. And uh, um, really, there's, there's, there's nothing there until President Biden signs it into the law. So until that takes place, none of the stuff that we're kind of discussing today really means much. However, at the same time, they do, as they are proposing quite a few changes that if passed, um, definitely could impact the way retirement planning, the way your goals are um, discussed and how you allocate money and sort of your retirement planning strategy could shift slightly. Uh, what do you think about all these changes, Rich? It looks like they have a lot of them, huh? Oh, it's, oh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Taxes are always a tricky part of, of investing and it's a key component uh, within planning. You know, as the old saying goes, it's, it's not what you make, Mike, but, but what you keep, right? So we'd rather keep it for ourselves and our family and our charities as opposed to giving it to, to the government. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. And it's actually one of the reasons why we hired Sherry here at Milestone so that we actually have an accountant. <laughs> they can kind of keep us uh, in the straight error if, uh, if, if necessary. Um, but let's just jump in and just kind of discuss some of the high topics that we think uh, might be relevant to you as our listeners. Um, so, first of all, this bill uh, was released by the House Ways and Means Committee on September 13th. You know, this is the current version uh, as it is. Uh, but the, the first thing that I would like to kind of bring to your attention is the potential changes that are being proposed. First one, which I feel is, is, is really a, a big one, uh, are the changes to the tax bracket, to the marginal tax brackets. Now, if, and we'll, we'll keep it high level, but at the same time, there, there seems to be a pretty big squeeze that is taking place currently um, within a marginal tax bracket. So as it stands today, if you're an individual who is married and you're filing jointly, um, your marginal bracket, uh, you're in 32% bracket all the way until about $418,000, and then you are in the 35% marginal bracket from about 418 to 628 which is going to round up the numbers here for all intents and purposes. And then as soon as your uh, um, ordinary income goes up to about $628,000, now you kind of go right into the 37% tax bracket. The changes that are being proposed, at least on the merit filing jointly side of the equation, 
is the 32% bracket stays the same. It, it kind of ends up at about $418,000. That's where it kind of tops off. And then it goes into the 35% bracket, just like it currently is. However, currently it goes up from 418 to about 628. So it's a pretty wide spread. There's quite a bit of income um, between the low number, which is about $418,000, to about $628,000. It's essentially 35% bracket. That number is changing dramatically. It's changing from 628 at the top end of it to $450,000. So all of a sudden, your 35% bracket is being significantly squeezed uh, by quite a bit. And then anybody over the $450,000 in income, instead of going up to 37, is actually going to go right into the 39.6% bracket. What do you think about that, Rich? Yeah, I mean they're 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 trying to in, increase the uh, amount of people that will be paying more taxes, and that's what it kind of looks like, right? <laughs> and that's only one side of the coin because there's also capital gains rate taxes are also going up as well. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, it feels to me that really the the, the people that are, were in the thirty five percent bracket are going to get the most impacted by this because they just lost about $200,000 more or less of income. From a planning perspective, you know, we, we've been doing Roth conversions with a lot of our clients and we've been using that wiggle room or that leeway, you know, from a certain income level to another income level, you know, not putting people on a higher threshold to actually convert uh, some assets from traditional IRAs, 401ks to Roth. So it's going to make that even more difficult now too, if this, if this does go through. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, doing Roth conversions now, what we call strategic Roth conversions, you know, assuming it makes sense for a, a client, you know, you kind of want to try to fill the bracket, if you will. Well, you know, 35% was a pretty, pretty big bracket to fill. Now, it's from 418,000 to about 450,000. There's not a ton of wiggle room. So you have all these people, you know, they were making 600,000, $700,000. And now, Going to go up from thirty-five. Not going to go to thirty-seven. They're going to go to thirty-nine point six. Um, and it's on the federal. Obviously, you got to put in the state taxes on top of that, and so on. It, it, it's quite a bit of a change. Yep. Um, just to mention, the single filers are kind of in sort of in, in a little bit of the same boat, um, where currently the thirty-five percent bracket goes up from two hundred nine to about five twenty-three. And propose it goes from 209 to 400. So they still, they don't lose as much. I mean, they still have a little bit more wiggle room, you know, from filling up the bracket perspective than the joint couple would. But it's still about $123,000, $120,000 decrease in what they were able to uh, to fill, if you want. They're going to jump right in at $400,000 into, again, not 37. They just go right into the 39.6. Uh, bracket on the federal side, so quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of change, um, and primarily for the individuals that I believe are filling in the thirty five percent bracket here. As Rich mentioned, the the capital gains are are also going up. Now I will tell you that the original proposal was a lot steeper when it came down to it. Um, they were looking to go up to a thirty nine percent bracket, 
But uh, at this point, it looks like the proposed amount is so they were basically going to align the the the, lar, the the top capital gain bracket with the top income bracket. That was basically the objective. Um, from what they're proposing now, it looks like the long term uh, the capital gain rates are going to go from twenty percent to twenty five percent, right, Rich? Yeah, I mean that's the the top the top rate. I mean, which is still significant. So, I mean, if you're you're waiting an entire year, you know, holding on to, to positions and you have pretty good gains in them. I mean, just to use the math, if you if you had a million dollar gain in in a in a position or a portfolio, that's fifty fifty thousand dollars more <laughs> that you have to pay the government than than you would if if you realize those capital gains this year. So, pretty significant. Yeah, you are right on the money. And it actually goes, one of the reasons why we do a lot of tax loss harvesting, like as we're recording this episode right now on, on, on September 20th, you know, currently the Dow is down around 481 points. So there's quite a bit of volatility taking place. So one of the strategies that, you know, Rich and I have utilized here at Milestone were, it still is tax loss harvesting, where we go in and we take losses when when we can in brokerage accounts during the market volatility times because then we can use those losses to offset potential gains, which is something that you know some advisors do at the end of the year, which there's some validity to it. We we believe in kind of doing it throughout the year. But the income level on the capital gains is actually, instead of being a million dollars original proposal and a 39.6% long-term cap, uh, capital gain number, it's at 400,000 now. So basically your income is 400 grand a year and if that's the case, you could be at a 25% low, uh, capital gain bracket, which is quite different, even though the, the percentage is lower, but the income is definitely significantly lower. But I think the bigger kicker here is that that is retroactive to September 13, which uh, is essentially means that uh, if they pass this and it becomes the law, you really don't have, I mean, unless you've done some capital loss harvesting through the 13s, Anything after that, or you have a contract that you've signed to do certain transactions, that's the day you're stuck with, huh? Yeah. And uh, tax loss harvesting, Mike, is, is a great strategy, but it might become uh, a little bit more difficult with some additional new wash sale rules as well, which is also proposed in, in the new bill, uh, which would add additional asset classes such as cryptocurrencies, currencies, you know, digital assets, foreign currencies, commodities, uh, et cetera. But the one thing that stood out to me is that um, wash sale rule um, triggers actually would increase um, spouses. So spouses accounts, again, if you sold something in your account, um, you still couldn't buy it in your wife's account because that would also trigger it or your dependents. So it's very, very interesting, um, you know, that dynamic. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very valid point. You got to be very careful now when you are doing stuff. For those listeners that don't know what a wash sale is, let me kind of give you a quick sort of brief explanation of what it is. Let's say you bought Apple at $10 a share, and then all of a sudden Apple drops from $10 to $8. You turn around and you go in and you sell Apple at $8, so you're realizing a $2 per share loss. Now, what the wash sale means is that if you'd like to realize and sort of hold on to that loss for either tax loss purposing or to potentially write off of your income, you cannot buy Apple back within 30 days. That's the time frame. So you got to be out of Apple for 30 days. Now, you can go into Microsoft. You can go into an ETF that has sort of technology exposure. You just cannot go back 
into Apple for 30 days. What the new war sale rules mean now is that if you go back and within the, from the sale of Apple, if you buy back into Apple within 30 days, not just in your account, but in your wife's account or your IRA account, that's all considered towards the war sale, which will essentially disallow your ability to carry that loss on your tax uh, bill, which is pretty significant change. Mm-hmm. Um, again, none of that has been passed, but at the end of the day, they are looking at it and they are considering it. And the way this re- you know, legislation is written, historically speaking, a lot of this stuff could make it into the bill, which could then make planning a little bit more complicated, right? Exactly. Exactly. They just try to make it uh, more difficult. <laughs> Which, again, you know, kind of goes back to this whole process of making sure that, you know, if there are losses, if there's anything that you'd like to do or take some losses on, it's very important. But I think there's an opportunity to do proper portfolio management and planning, whether the market is going up or going down. There's a strategy that could be utilized. And I think tax loss harvesting is going to become. Very, very important. Now, what's interesting is that you cannot take the tax loss in the IRA accounts. If you go and sell the same example, you sell Apple, but it's not in the brokerage account, it's in an IRA, you don't get that tax loss. You don't get to write that off on your income. So you can only take the losses in the brokerage accounts. They're just now looking at everything under your household to say, hey, sold Apple here. Did you buy it somewhere else in any of your other accounts? Oh, you did. Now we're going to disallow your losses. Now, Rich, you want to just maybe quickly go over as to why somebody, how do losses help when it comes down to long-term capital gains or just capital gains in general? Yeah, well, losses basically offset offset your gains, right? So you'll have more tax, be more tax efficient. You know, your tax bill will be, will be a lot less. And you will have similar exposure. I mean, there's different ways to you know buy and sell uh, different entities. Meaning, you could have say a market ETF, and you sell that, and you can buy a you know a different market ETF, but it has to be a little bit different. And you're not actually losing exposure because you sold and you bought, but you realize the loss. So again, you know when you have a gain, when the market comes back, you can offset that gain with that loss. So. You know, again, being more tax efficient and not having to pay taxes. You know, whereas now they're trying to make that more more difficult. That's uh, that's precisely it. So, if you are an investor that has an income level of four hundred thousand dollars or above, and uh, you might be paying much higher capital gains, so hopefully there there are some losses that you've accumulated through the years that you could potentially use to offset some of those gains. Now, we talked a little bit about the wash sale now. Now, cryptocurrency now is not subject to wash sale at all. So the Bitcoins, any any of the crypto assets, uh, um, you can basically sell them today, turn around, buy them two minutes later. There's, there's nothing that's stopping you from doing that. They are looking at it at this point, and it certainly is in the bill um, at this time. Now... Let's talk a little bit about my favorite subject, and I think Rich's favorite subject as well, the Roth conversions. Uh, so, Rich, what's happening with the Roth conversions there? <laughs> it's a lot, huh? Uh, it's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of different changes. Um, they're going to start to try to prohibit you know, Roth conversions for taxpayers in the highest bracket, um, which is the 39.6, uh, which is, again, a, a strategy that 
a lot of folks utilize, higher net worth folks utilize, even people who aren't higher net worth. Um, it, it kind of benefits anybody being able to control your taxes, right? Um, for anybody who doesn't know, a Roth conversion is simply taking your traditional IRA or 401k or 403b, taking money out of it now, uh, kind of like a, a distribution, but paying on the taxes now um, as opposed to paying them later uh, and converting them into a Roth account, which you could grow that conversion amount to whatever and never have to pay taxes on it again. You know, I liken it to be controlling, you know, your, your tax bill in the future by paying taxes on the seed, if you will, as opposed to paying taxes on the entire tree, you know, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years down, down the road. Um, and the reason you do that is because you feel that taxes might be going up in the future or the minimum required distributions from your IRA are going to increase year by year by year, which is going to ultimately put you in a higher tax bracket. So by doing a Roth conversion now, you're, again, able to control that tax bill in, in the future. Um, but the government is trying to prohibit it. But the caveat, Mike, is it's, it might not start until 2032 because I feel or we feel that the government wants you know, their money now. So they, they want you to convert now rather than later. So uh, they get some money in the coffers. Yeah, which presents a, a phenomenal opportunity to take a look and see, you know, we have a 10-year window because it's going to start next year to go in and take a look and see, does it make sense for us to move the money out and convert from pretext to Roth? Now, if you are not discussing Roth conversions with your financial planner or an investment management firm that you're working with, I, I think if this is not uh, a wake-up call to you, I, I think it should be because the brackets are are high. They're going higher. Social Security is going to um, be in a little bit of trouble soon, so maybe they'll have to raise taxes again. But you might not be able to make Roth conversions after 2032. I think what is interesting is that what is going away as of beginning of next year. And that is two things. Number one, what's called the backdoor Roth conversion. We've talked about this in our previous episodes here on the show. But basically what that means is that if you do not have an ability today to make contributions into a Roth IRA because you just make too much money, just can't make those contributions, you are able Again, keeping it high level, assuming you don't have any other retirement accounts or IRAs and so on. You can make an after-tax, non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA, turn around and do a Roth conversion. It's called a backdoor Roth conversion. There is no longer going to be available as a strategy as of 2022. So if this is something that you've been doing, I know I have a couple of clients that have done backdoor uh, Roth conversions for quite a few years now. I'm reaching out to them now to say, hey, listen, if we want to, because they usually do it in April for the prior year, got to get it in this year for this year, and it will no longer be an option uh, for them going forward. I think what is interesting is that they are going away and then sort of getting rid of mega Roth conversions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what is that? Well, in the 401k plans, you know, in the past, you had an ability to put money in after tax. Right, because the, the contribution limits, right, Rich, they used to be so much smaller. So you can go in and employers say, you know, okay, well, once you max out your pre-tax, you can still go ahead and continue to put money into your retirement account. You just do it with after-tax money. 
So you don't get the tax deduction on it, but a gross tax deferred. Well, when you retired and you leave the company, more often than not, you, you know, again, it's everybody's different, but more often than not, there's some value in potentially moving that account to an IRA, you know, lower cost, different investment choices, and so on. When that particular transaction took place in the past, you've been able to take the pre-tax portion of your 401k and move that to what we call a rollover or a traditional IRA, but you could take an after-tax, right, the contributions that you already paid taxes on, and you could have either gotten a check in the mail for it, which a lot of people could do, but what most people that is there did, it was called a, a mega Roth conversion. They put that into a Roth IRA as a conversion, and they've been super successful because now that money is, instead of growing tax-deferred, as Rich said, it's growing tax-free for the rest of your life, and then your beneficiaries can take that money out when you pass away after 10 years of tax-free growth as well. That is going away. How do you feel about that, Rich? Terrible. I mean, <laughs> you're setting yourself up success for success, you know, converting it to, to, to the Roth there. Um, and such a such a tremendous benefit. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't like it, but uh, you know, I guess it's a, a loophole that they want to close. Yes, you know, I was actually uh, very concerned with uh, with what's called the net unrealized appreciation. You know, Rich and I do a lot of that. This is for individuals that work for a company that gives them an option to buy stock within their 401k plan at the lower basis. And when you retire, you can extract the stock in a tax uh, beneficial way and sort of segregate it from your 401k plan without going into too much details. So as they were discussing potentially eliminating step-up cost basis, I was very concerned. Uh, with what the NUA could potentially look like. But that's not on the bill at this point. Right, right. Thank God. <laughs> For now. I mean, who knows? It could change. Uh, I know I have, so do you, Rich, we have quite a few clients that haven't retired yet, but they have this, you know, UTC or some of the other companies that provide an opportunity to buy into the company's stock. They have such a low basis that that would be a shame if that takes place. Um, but in any case, so the Roth conversions are changing significantly. They're eliminating the backdoor Roth conversion as a strategy. And they're also not going to allow you to move money from your 401k as a mega Roth conversion any longer starting in 2022, not 2032. That is happening now. And, uh, you know, as Rich mentioned, <laughs> not exactly the most pleasant uh, approach here. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a very, very important benefit that is being eliminated. And, you know, there are other things, if you will, other provisions of this plan. I mean, we, we're trying to keep this show to about 30 minutes, so it's not too overwhelming. But at the same time, there are some potential changes that are coming to require minimum distribution, what that looks like, what are contribution limits, because uh, at this today, if you want to do a Roth conversion, you have to be under a certain income level. Otherwise, you can't do it. They seem to be potentially making some changes to that, where they're incorporating also the values that you have in your retirement accounts in addition to your income level. They also look into potentially change some required distribution provisions. We're not 100% clear on exactly how the whole thing is going to work out, uh, but they are looking to change that. If you are in a super 
high net worth space where your income is over $5 million jointly, um, there could be some additional tax, about 3% additional tax that you'd have to pay. So there are some provisions of this plan that certainly need a lot more clarification and explanation. But I feel that if you are weren't doing a lot of retirement planning along with tax planning, I think now is an, an important time where we have what, three months, four months left till the end of the year. Even if it affects uh, estate planning, Mike, there's a few things in, um, like the gift and estate tax exemptions um, was around uh, $10 million. Now, starting in 2022, it's going to be cut in half. So it's still a $5 million lifetime exemption, which might seem large, but <laughs> as inflation keeps creeping in, you know, $5 million isn't what it was last year. It wasn't what it was, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago. So I can't imagine in five or 10 years, $5 million might be the new million <laughs> dollar, dollar mark. But anyway, uh, with that and, you know, also grant or trust rules and, you know, grats and, all those different, um, you know, fancy things that people do to to you know get some assets out of their estate, uh, minimize taxes is uh, is going to be changed, um, you know, possibly coming in 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 the future. That's a very good point. The changes to the estate planning exemptions they're going to go down from eleven point seven to five point eight five per person. And for a lot of folks, uh, you know, they say, okay, so it's, it's really not a big deal, or eleven point seven million per couple. Um, well, it's not a big deal. It, it's not that much. But, you know, it was, it was real estate properties and the assets that you're accumulating. And now for folks that do have estates that are larger than $11.7 million, the estate planning needs to be revisited because the, the proposed changes to the trust accounts and grants and how the money were flowing to the beneficiaries is changing significantly, at least on proposal side of it. So if that does go through, uh, it would be effective from... 2022 on. So the estate planning is going to become very paramount at this point to review, to sit back down with your attorney to make sure that your estate plan, if this passes through, is up to date. You know, it might be a good idea to talk to your estate attorney now saying, hey, listen, here's some changes that are taking place. If that takes place, what are we going to do? What's our plan? Um, kind of have a process already in place here. Um, I will, you know, there are a lot of other provisions, but obviously we can't cover them all here. Certainly, if you have any questions, you can certainly reach out to us. You know, our website is milestoneamg.com. You can call us at 860-259-4800. We have a couple of locations and be more than happy to speak with you. But I think what is interesting is that what's not on the bill, right? Uh, I was happy to see the elimination of a step up in cost basis was not in this proposal. Doesn't mean it can't go back in, but I know that the uh, President Biden's plan originally was to say, hey, the person passes away, and uh, in, right now, if you pass away and you have very low basis, your basis assumed the value of that particular security on the date of death. Well, President Biden was encouraging eliminating that. That was the original plan. Well, that's not in this provision at this point. Uh, in addition to it, Social Security funding, there's nowhere to be found. I mean, our Social Security is in more trouble than we originally anticipated. Um, and it's not really being tackled um, at this point. And I don't know about you, Rich, but I think there's only one way that they can tackle that is, is once again, to raise taxes on somebody. Raise taxes. That's the answer to everything. Raise taxes. Or print more money. Or print more money, one or the other. 
Another interesting one is called the 198, uh, Section 199A deduction, the phase-out. So what that basically means, for those of you that don't know, there is certain deductibility that you have if you're not a professional business. For example, you know, Milestone Asset Management Group is a financial planning firm. So we are in very specific space. It's called the professional services. So we don't have an ability to claim 199A deduction. However, if you are in a different industry, like real estate, for example, you do. So under the President Biden's original proposal, that section was going to get totally phased out. That's not, I don't think it's happening at this point based on what I'm reading. So a lot to cover, a lot more to come. I think if, if, if anything um, that really cements it is that having the right plan updating your plan, have taxes being the number one focal point of your plan, and try to work on minimizing your taxes as much as possible. Um, because taxes, as you can see, they're not going down anytime soon. They're going to continue to go up. Our national debt is continuing to grow. Um, the money is still being printed and put back into the economy, which is you know, impacting inflation on all aspects of it. So if you were ever going to sit there on the, if you've been sitting on the sidelines saying, yeah, I got to get, got to get the plan in, I got to get the planning going. I think now is, a, is the best opportunity to kind of get off your butt and really take this by the horns and start doing things on your term. Otherwise, you're just basically going to follow whatever it is that you've been told to do without being, having an ability to say what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Rich, but that's my honest yeah, opinion. No. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. I mean, it's you, you just need to take, you know, a snapshot of where you are today and then kind of look at what's coming down the pipeline and as far as planning is concerned with taxes. And, you know, you need to be able to take advantage of all that's available to you. And, you know, the things that we mentioned, Roth conversions, wash sale rules, you know, uh, you know, taking losses in, in, in your account to offset gains. These are a lot of things that uh, could could put significant amount of money in your pocket um, by doing simple simple changes. If you know you know where to look, you know, so it could be very beneficial. And time might be running out to do some of these things. So if you don't do them, you might you know the old saying is uh, if you snooze, you lose. So uh, you know we're here just to again make you aware and and help you along. Yeah, no, it's interesting because people always get hung up on, okay, market performance, this performance, that performance. Market goes up over a long period of time. What I think we, you, you can't control that. You cannot control what the market does. If it goes up, like it's down today, it's going to be up tomorrow. Short-term fluctuation is uncontrollable. However, what you do have full control over is trying to minimize your taxes. You know, if you think about it, you know, if you're in 35% bracket and you can, have a plan that delivers results that keep you in a 24% bracket, that's 11% savings. That's a lot of money. That's significant. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. 11% savings on taxes. Uh, that's a lot of money in any shape or form. Um, so I, I, we believe here at Milestone that tax planning, retirement planning, tax minimization is might be more important than trying to sit there and listen to Kramer tell you what's the next bet, you know, next best stock to buy and hitting all the bulls and all the toys he's got on TV uh, and, and so on. Um, but 
in any case, uh, you know, we are just we just wanted to come on. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, some proposed changes, kind of try to do the best that we can to dissect this and kind of put it out there as much as we can. If you have any questions, if there are any anything that we can clarify for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Rich, anything you want to add here as we uh, as we wrap up? Nope, sounds sounds good. You know, and we'll keep you abreast of uh, you know any changes and things that that we see that we hear, and uh, pass pass that along to you as well. That is exactly it. So we certainly appreciate you all tuning in today. And uh, we'll be back with our next episode uh, relatively soon. And like I said, if meantime you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you all and have a great day. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.